pray with you. Father, as we uh, worship in you, first we want to say thank you. Lord, we don't have to just be in one meeting place to have you present with us. Thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you for meeting with us each and every day. That we make ourselves available to you. Thank you, God. Lord, anoint these lips that we might speak a word that is from you to us. Speak it through our heart today, God, to your people, to those who are to become your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm so glad to be with you today and honored. I cannot wait for us to be able to assemble together again as the body of Christ. But it has not stopped my worship of him. Sensing God's presence here in this room, seeing you all worshiping together as the body there in the videos that we have, our worship team, so many great things that God is using and doing in this moment. I want to tell you that I understand some of you are being frustrated with what is not happening or what you're not allowed to do, but I want you to know that none of this is inhibiting God from moving. As a matter of fact, it's very opposite of that. God is moving. There is more activity around and through the church than I remember in my entire lifetime. The Spirit of God is moving and take advantage of this time as people that are housebound are being attentive to things that they've allowed life to consume them and take them away from. First off, God, faith, relationship with Him, and then family. So today I want you to know that God is moving and the church is responding so blessed and encouraged by the church's response to what is happening today in engaging people with the gospel, encouraging others to strengthen their faith and to be the church that Christ has called us to be. As we look at this, I want to share some scriptures with you today that are found in Luke's gospel, the 10th chapter. As I read to you, I read from the New Living Translation, which I usually do. It's not the most greatest or the worst or anything. It's just a translation. So just relax, listen to God's word and hear what God has to say to us today. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? First, before we read any further, I want you to know that's a legitimate question. It's an important question. Every one of us need to know the answer to that question because we're going to end up at the end of this life on planet Earth, leaving here into eternity, and we need to know the answer to this. And so it was a great question from an expert, and here's the interaction that takes place. Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now, when we look at God's word here in the message that we're looking at, we'll continue reading in Luke 10 if you want to keep your Bibles open to that. If not, you can just listen. But we want to pause right here between these two sections to understand something that is really incredibly important for me and you as we enter into this narrative between Jesus and an expert of God's law. 
So the expert comes to test Jesus on his knowledge of what it means to have a relationship with God and have eternity with him above. Being an expert, the reason why Jesus turned it around and asked him was, he knew that this guy was supposed to know these answers, so he said, what does God's word say? And the guy knew what God's word said. Don't forget that. He knew what God's word said, and he knew what God expected of him. But the key in this whole thing is it wasn't just a testing of Jesus. The fact of the matter is, if you heard what I read to you in that context, it said he was trying to justify his actions. So he knew what he was supposed to do. He knew what God expected him to do. But he also knew he wasn't really doing it because now he wanted parameters from Jesus to know who he was supposed to love and who he could leave by the wayside. <laughs> Obviously, there was somebody or someone or some groups of people that this expert of the law was not wanting to love as himself. Obviously, because he was saying like, hey, who is my neighbor then? Explain to me. Because he's trying to justify his actual living. I'm not reading into the scripture. It's obvious in the context of the dialogue that this is what he was talking about. So when you engage in that dialogue that is taking place in the gospel, you will also find that Jesus comes to him with what we know in the scriptures. It's called a parable, a story, a lesson story that he's trying to teach. Those of us that are familiar with the Bible know that in God's word, it talks about this story and it is called the Good Samaritan. Now, the title itself of that story tells us something that we need to pay attention to before we go on into the narrative. Because what had happened was, as you remember, God had established Israel as a nation like he promised to Abraham way back in the beginning. And he told them that they had to follow his ways or he would not allow them to be his people. Made a covenant with um, Abraham that he would bring forth the Messiah which was ended up coming through Judah which came through King David's lineage and so when the nation turned their back on God during the reign of Solomon when his son came to be king the nation of Israel split into two nations the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel in 721-722 BC Assyria came and took over Israel, destroyed them. And when they did this, the Assyrians, if you know your history, what they did when they took over an area was they would take and disperse the peoples they just captured into other nations that they had captured. And they brought people from those nations into this nation so they would all intermingle. This was to keep them from having unity to be able to come against the power of the king of Assyria. So what had taken place was this. Those non-Jewish people were brought into Israel where the Jews once all lived as a one nation and they intermingled and therefore those Jews of Judah viewed those in Israel in these days as half-breeds or mutts and intermingling of nationalities no longer pure Jews of Abraham's descendants. 
And therefore, the Jews viewed the Samaritans, which is what we are going to talk about in just a moment, as the lowest of the low, like dogs. They just saw them as worthless. And so now, this expert in the law asks Jesus to justify his own decisions in life by who is my neighbor, and Jesus begins to tell him a story, and this is what that story is all about. I read to you once again Luke chapter 10, and I want to start in verse 29. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three men would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. Incredible interaction that takes place here. What Jesus did is he took, as this expert of the law would understand, someone who is very holy and righteous in being a priest, not really engaging in what the law actually said, not loving his neighbor, taking care of someone who is in obvious need, and then a minister in the church doing the same thing. And who is actually a neighbor to him is the one that the one would call a dog. (laughs) Now, these relationships were not real healthy on either side of the fence, uh, Samaritans or Jews, just so you know. But Jesus uses this illustration to teach us something that is significantly important. So now go and do the same. So, Jesus is teaching something that we as Christians in the church need to hear, understand, and apply in our lives. Jesus tells us that the Christian life, although we are not following the law of Moses, thank God, through Jesus Christ, we've been set free from the law, now in a new covenant. However, when we look at what Jesus says, we are still called to live according to these words of the law in our relationship with God as Christians. We are called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Therefore, Christian, I want you to know and be challenged this morning by what God's Word says, who is the neighbor you are struggling to love? Who are you trying to justify unliving 
unloving actions toward. Understanding what we were just talking about in this relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans, and understanding this social uh, wall or barrier between these two races of people, it gives us that incredible insight into another story that took place in the Gospels in John chapter 4, where when we read that account, we see Jesus talking to a woman by the well who was a Samaritan woman. The disciples had gone off to get some some stuff and some supplies. They come back and they're amazed that they find Jesus engaging in a conversation with this woman. Not only was she a woman, she was a Samaritan woman. Not only that, but Jesus himself revealed that she had been married five times and divorced and was now shacking up with somebody, living together in sin, And here he is, not only speaking to someone that the Jews and the disciples saw them the same way at this time, as outcasts and and wretched people in society, that here she was like an outcast of the outcasts, the low of the lows. She was like a tramp. And here was Jesus, the one they saw as the Savior, the Messiah, holy, having a conversation with her. Now, church, it's really important for us to hear this. And those of you who are not yet in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and if you're listening to me, please hear these words from God's word and understand what he's saying to us. Jesus knew who she was, knew where she came from, knew all about her life. He knew about her life choices. He knew about her brokenness. He knew how messed up she was. He knew how messed up she was in this very moment that he was having a conversation with her and it did not stop him from engaging her in her life because the purpose of his conversation was to call her out of her brokenness into new life. See, When Jesus revealed himself to her and said, I am the Messiah, she believed. And in that very moment, she ran back into the Samaritan town, told everybody that she had met the Messiah, and and they ran out of the city to meet him for themselves. This incredible interaction of those whom were rejected by the Jews and looked down upon as they came to the Jewish Messiah and heard his words gladly. And the word of God there in John 4 says, many believed on him, not only because the Samaritan woman told them about her, him, but the fact that they heard him themselves and believed. Ah, I want you to know this morning, you are not beyond his reach. He desires to have a relationship with you. As we read the Gospels, we come across time and time again where Jesus himself engages with people that the normal people in society, the religious people, the upper class people, would never engage with people that Jesus engaged with. In Matthew chapter 9, we read a story 
another encounter of Jesus with an outcast. This time it's a Jew, though. But there was still people within their own community that were outcasts as well. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? God forgive those of us that think we're so righteous we view others like this. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. What a profound statement and encounter we find here. Jesus challenges the religious people, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, those were of the upper class of the existing church in Judah, the city of Jerusalem. He challenged them to know the scriptures that God gave to us, those Old Testament words, and he uses one sentence out of the Old Testament law and the scriptures that have been given that God's men and women should have known. I want you to show mercy, not sacrifices. What Jesus is saying is, it doesn't matter what kind of religious practice that you perform, if you're not living in it, it doesn't matter. As we see this, he's saying, I want you to show mercy. Love your neighbor. Why do you look at people and think they're scum? They need Jesus. If they're broken and lost, it's our responsibility as God's people to show them mercy, reach out to them in Christian love, share the good news with them. I love the fact that Matthew, being one of those outcasts, a tax collector, who was basically viewed as um, someone that turned his back on his own people, he's collecting taxes for the Romans, for goodness sake, you know? And so the tax collectors were viewed uh, very lowly like most, by most people in their society. And yet Jesus says, come and follow me and be my disciple. Get up, leave that old life and come and be with me. And Matthew gets up and does it. But see, this is so critically important for us that Matthew didn't just get up and follow Jesus. He wanted the people that he used to associate with to know there's hope for them. And he invited them to meet Jesus and the disciples as well. See, when we ask those weekly accountability questions to you, if you're a regular part of this church, you know those. I ask them at the beginning of the service. Are you inviting others to be a part of what God is doing through the body of Christian Faith Fellowship? Not just to get more people in the church. You see, what was happening was we found the answer to life. Matthew was like, I found something worth leaving everything behind. I want to be different because anybody that is living in brokenness knows they're broken. And they're looking for an answer. 
And so Matthew found the answer. And he wanted those people that were around him to know the answer for themselves. Therefore, he created a moment where they can encounter Jesus for themselves. The exact same thing the Samaritan woman did. I met him. This is who he says he is. I, I know he knows everything about my life. You come and meet him for yourself. Do you understand? As we look at these encounters from Scripture, it is living our faith and sharing that faith with people that are broken and lost. People that know they're in need. We have no right to turn our nose up at anybody. We all know. We all know this. Whether you've been an, an addict to alcohol, drugs, sexual stuff, whatever. I don't care what it is. If, if you've had an, an addiction in your life, and all of us have been addicted to sin because we were born in that sin, so we understand that. Listen, we all know that the first step toward any recovery is admitting you have a problem in the first place and that you're powerless to change it. So... When we put that in the context of this spiritual need that you and I all have and our addiction to sin, first we need to understand we're not righteous. There's none of us that are righteous. And that we need help from outside of ourselves because we can't change. This is exactly what Jesus came to offer us. An outside source that will come inside to give us power to change. See, those that are broken know they need it. But the self-righteous do not see they have a problem in the first place because they always see themselves as right. We find that in the Scriptures and these encounters. When people are coming to Jesus for a touch, we find the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious self-righteous on the sidelines, watching Him with a critical eye trying to find out what He's doing wrong instead of listening to what He's saying that is right. We have a lot of people in the church that do the same thing. We're looking for what's wrong with the people in the church or the leaders of the church or that person instead of looking at what God is doing in and through their life. Those of us that have come to this place where we recognize and know that we are broken, that we know that we are powerless to change out of our brokenness, our addictions, our, our emptiness, our messed up selves are the very ones that Jesus came to call. So now, reading in Matthew, see we are reading in Matthew's gospel. So this person who was an outcast of society, who stole from his own people for his own profit, who was part of the disreputable people of the communities in the surrounding area, was one that actually not only became a disciple of Jesus Christ, but because of the transformation in his life through Jesus Christ, he was anointed by God and spoken to by the Holy Spirit to write one of the books of the Bible. It's pretty amazing when you see who God chooses to use when we empty ourselves of ourselves, recognize we need Him. God wants to touch and change you and use you. just want you to know that. I want to share another story from Scripture that uh, I don't think I've ever preached on this text in all the years of being a pastor in 30-some years. 
And probably part of the reason is because I've heard the story so many times as a little kid growing up in the church in Sunday school, and we used to sing a little song about this guy. And don't worry, I'm not going to sing it for you, okay? <laughs> but the little song says, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a little wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. There's little actions that go along with it. So if you were raised in Sunday school, you probably know that song. Well, we want to look in the scriptures to see a little more details about this because in that song, we're not really told some of the stuff that this guy was all about and what happened in this encounter. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he'd become very rich. All right, so you see this. He's not only one of the outcasts, but he's one of the top dogs in that outcast group. And he's become wealthy because of how he has scammed the people and given those taxes to Rome. And he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Let that sink in there. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> See, he invited me. He's inviting you. Let's go on reading that. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Oh, man. Man, I know you're in your homes today, but I can hear you clapping right there and saying, praise God, what an amazing thing that we read in the Scriptures. The religious crowd once again saw Jesus' actions towards sinners as unacceptable. There's no way you ought to be associating with that kind of people, with those people. What do they have to offer? Who are they? We don't like them. All that kind of stuff. And that's exactly who Jesus came after. Do you see? What Jesus told us is the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those that are lost. The broken, the needy, the messed up, the social outcasts, the addicts, the homeless, you name it. Anybody that we see as them. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? See that that echoes in my mind of that wanting to justify himself. Who is my neighbor? 
See, anything that comes in your mind and your heart that thinks about, I don't associate with those kinds of people. Jesus tells us clearly that He came for the broken. He came for those kind of people. I want you to know I was one of those kind of people. (laughs) Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. So before I read any further, you see Jesus went to the self-righteous homes too. Not just the outcasts. Because he's trying to reach all broken people. Not just those that know they're broken. But he's also trying to reach those people that don't think they're broken. But they are broken. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there. A certain immoral woman from that city. She heard he was eating there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. I'm so grateful that Jesus allows us sinners to come to him. So in response to this guy's judgmental views of not only Jesus, but of this broken, immoral woman, who obviously had a reputation in the community. Everybody knew what kind of woman she was. Here, as you read through the little dialogue that's taking place in that section of Scripture, we pick up in verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, I'm sorry, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home... You didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins and They are many. I've been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. (laughs) Hey, Whatever you've done, or even whatever you're now doing, whatever you're engaging in, whatever sin you've been a part of, please know this. Jesus loves you, and He wants to forgive you, 
even if your sins are many. He doesn't want you to keep living in it. He won't let you keep living in it. He has come to forgive you, change your life, and offer a better way of living for you. For those of you who see yourselves as not needing much forgiveness, please understand you're broken. Don't measure yourself above other people. If you're basing your Christianity looking at the brokenness of others, you fall into the class of the Pharisees and the self-righteous. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. God's word tells us this. And so this amazing God who loves us has invited us into this relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And I want everyone to hear me right now when I say to you, you are not such a terrible sinner that Jesus won't forgive you or that he can't forgive you. Don't let the enemy tell you you're unforgivable. Your sins are too many. They're too dark. They're too vast. You're broken. You're part of that group of people. I want you to know Jesus calls people out of that group of people. He is calling to that group of people to call them out of that group of people to become whole in through Him. You can know Him today. You can be forgiven of all of that mess. No matter who you are or even who you were, God not only desires a relationship with you through forgiveness, He also wants to use you. See, it's not just that He wants you to be forgiven. He does want you to be forgiven, but He wants you to enter into relationship with Him and share Him with others. For you and your sin and your brokenness have been surrounded by others in their sin and their brokenness. Because we navigate towards the brokenness in the midst of community. And therefore, Jesus Christ is calling you to be made whole through Him that you might also offer to those broken people around you the message of hope that you have found in Him. (laughs) Make today the day. I have two statements for Christians. Those of you that are in this relationship with God through Jesus Christ already, and you're listening to this message and we've been processing it through, I challenge you, Christian brothers and sisters, with this next question. Are you trying to justify something in your life when you know better? Remember the expert in the law? He was trying to justify something in his life, so he asked Jesus, hey, clarify something. Who's my neighbor? I want you to know if you're trying to justify something in your life or you're trying to get around something, you already know God's Word says you're wrong. You need to repent and you need to get over it. Give it to God, let it go, and step into the fullness of this relationship that God has for us as Christian people. If you're trying to justify something in your life, you already know better. Not only has God's word affirmed there's something not right in your life or your actions or what you're doing or not doing, but the Holy Spirit has made it known to you as well. So stop wrestling inside of yourself, my Christian brothers and sisters. Surrender it, trust God, and step through. The last question I have for Christians as well. There is nobody we should not be loving. There is nobody we should not be sharing the good news with. God loves you. He loves them. Them. 
He died for them. And He's given us this incredible moment to not only understand His gospel, see our lives that have been changed, but understand He wants to change their life. Father, as we conclude this message right now, we ask, Holy Spirit, that You would convict where we're trying to justify, call where we're broken, and bring us into healing. For those that do not know You, God, today, we pray, Holy Spirit, that You would grab a hold of their hearts as they hear these words, that they would embrace You as their Savior, stepping out of sin into righteousness in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you for joining us. There's contact information at the bottom of the screen where you can get a hold of us. If you've made a commitment to Jesus Christ today, would you please let us know? If you've asked God to forgive you of something in your life, please let us know. We want to encourage you and help you grow in your faith. Christians, if you've surrendered and you're walking with Him, keep it up. God bless you. Have an amazing week with Him, and we'll see you soon.